Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you, designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. And welcome to 2024's first solo episode with the Winning Travel podcast. And today, I'm just going to give you a reminder of what this episode is going to be about, so the structure, and also then do the first episode within that structure. So an intro at the start. And then we're going to do section one, it's going to be travel news. Then we're going to have a section two, which is going to be like a travel story, maybe a funny one, something like that. Section three, it's going to be a guest reaction to the latest guest episode. Section four, it's going to be like a did you know travel fact. I might pick a country or particular area of the world, do some research on that. Section five is going to be a brand update. So what's going on with Winging It? It can be across anything from YouTube to this podcast audio episode or the guests coming up or blogging, whatever it could be. And then section six is going to be like an audience question if you've got anything to ask. And I might chuck in at the very end a final travel joke. So we are on January 15th. So today's episode, travel news. Travel news. Got a few things to talk about here, which are quite interesting. First of all, the classic passport rankings for the start of the year are out. No surprises here. We do touch on passport privilege on this podcast, but if you're very interested in this or you're thinking about even migrating to a new country to get a passport or even work there, here are the top 10. So joint first is France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Japan and Singapore. But traditionally, Singapore has been kind of on its own, maybe one other country at the top, but there's six countries there. Number two, Finland, South Korea and Sweden. Number three, Austria, Denmark, Ireland, and the Dutch. Number four, Belgium, Luxembourg, Norway, Portugal, and UK. Number five, Greece, Malta, and Switzerland. Number six, Australia, Czech Republic, New Zealand, and Poland. Number seven, Canada, Hungary, USA. Number eight, Estonia and Lithuania. Number nine, Latvia, Slovakia, Slovenia. And number 10, Iceland. Very, very Europe and North America heavy there with a bit of Asia chucked in as well. There must be certain factors going into this, and they do rank factors such as security, safety, job opportunities, healthcare, and all those, the ability to travel to different countries, visas, just all those type of things chucked in to your passport. And if you've got one of those passports in the top 10, you really are at the top echelons of travel. My little add-on to this is, as you may or may not know, I have a UK passport, but I'm currently in Canada, I think we will achieve this Canadian passport by this time next year. And the reason I'm doing it, even though Canada's ranked below UK, is I just have a feeling that UK passport could get worse. I could be wrong. Just an instinct, the way the world's going at the minute. I just don't trust it. So I want another passport. And that is incredibly lucky and privileged, I must say. Okay, let's go on something that's quite interesting here. If you're looking to visit Kenya, Kenya has a visa update. And now they're going to... USA-style Esther type thing, where you do it online now. Now, they claim it's visa-free, 
but effectively what's happened is you now don't have to pay $50 to get the application process, which could take two weeks to go visit. Now you do it online and it only costs $30, but it takes up to 72 hours. It's much quicker and much more slick. I can read out the reason for this move. So Kenya are looking to increase the number of international visitors to the country. Kenyan President William Ruto in December announced that Kenya would be going visa-free in 2024. Following that directive, an electronic travel authorization brackets ETA system has been put into place, ensuring that all travelers to Kenya are identified in advance. According to a statement provided by Kenya's Ministry of Interior and National Administration, just under 10,000 applications have been received, with 4,000 already processed, so it's going good. And these are processed on a priority basis guided by the travel schedule submitted by each applicant. The introduction of ETA is premised on the need to have a fair, fast and reliable system that also addresses Kenya's security and other strategic interests. The agency said, before ETA, citizens from 51 countries enjoyed visa-free entry to Kenya, while travellers from 155 other countries were subject to a visa application process at the cost of $50. The entry requirements application payments for all foreign nationals except for East African community, EAC citizens, are now the same irrespective of the country of origin and the fee is now $30. Processing time has decreased. And previously it took 14 days to process, but now it could take under and to a maximum of 72 hours. So it's good because this means that now there's no stress of doing paperwork. You can go online, do all the application. And like a lot of countries these days, when you do your visitor visa, you can get application received and completed in good time with no extra stress. That's great for visiting Kenya. Kenya's on my list. Uh, not on the high echelons of my list, but I do intend to probably put that into maybe 2026, I think, thinking ahead. With the new year, you get the best places to visit in 2024. It's a bit of a trend. But I'm just going to outline where I'm going this year because I don't think these are places you have to visit, but this is what I've chosen this year. So for Easter break, I'm going to San Diego. I haven't been to Southern California yet. Going to the Travel Con in Portland. I mentioned that before. Then I'm going to Washington, D.C. in August for the podcast movement. I've got a few events to go to there. Thailand in November. So this is part of the one big trip I'm going to do this year. Just one. Because I need to settle down for a bit and crack on with other priorities. But Thailand, the Extraordinary Travel Festival in Bangkok. I'm going to go to that. I'll probably visit one other island. haven't decided where yet. Then I'm going to go to Bhutan, number one on my list. And then the third country is either going to be Sri Lanka or Philippines in that trip. Can't decide yet, still weighing that one up. We're in the Northern Hemisphere summer, potentially some Gulf Islands in British Columbia. I love those islands in between Vancouver and Vancouver Island. Sensational. Another interesting thing I read about 2024 is the rise of surprise travel. So Booking.com recently surveyed 27,000 travellers in 33 countries to declare its seven travel predictions for 2024. 52% of those surveyed said they're keen to book a surprise trip where everything down to their destination is unknown until the arrival. How awesome is this? So it predicts it's going to be the year of the surrender seekers. So effectively what that means is, I don't know, you go into a travel agent or you ask someone else to book your trip and they do everything that you know in. You know what dates you're going to go, probably what airport you're going to leave from, and you don't know where you're going literally to the last minute. This is so awesome. Some people will be shuddering at the thought of this because they want to have everything planned. But I would love to do that. Not to plan goes against our often rigid and heavily planned daily routine, said Ryan Pearson from Booking.com. So for many, the spontaneity of heading to a destination unknown is thrilling enough and all about a new experience and a new way of travelling. 
what a great idea. Let me know if your plans do this and how you're going to go about doing it. It's now got my intrigue going, like, oh, how can I do that? Should I do that for maybe 2025? Not sure. It's an interesting one. So that is the travel news of today's episode. It's travel story time. Travel story this week is going to be me as a bit of a risky one, but it's not that bad. Essentially, when you travel, especially a little bit long term, you might learn a few bits about yourself. And for me, that was intolerance. And I had a suspicion that I was not reacting well to lentils or chickpeas. So in Jordan, in the town of Akaba, which is on the Red Sea, very nice little holiday place, actually. Lots of Jordanians churn out there. We had a nice hotel. I went to a nice restaurant for once, thought I'd splash out a little bit. And I had a starter, and this starter was chickpea and lentil soup, as yellow as it comes. I absolutely love chickpeas and lentils, but I did have a suspicion that I might be a bit reactive to them, so I had it. Uh, fantastic. Oof, smashed it in in a couple of minutes. Loved it. Bit of bread. Tasted really good. Then the main meal came. Probably about 10 minutes later. From eating the starter to finishing the main, that probably would have been about 15 minutes. And in that time, that soup has gone right through me, reacted to me. And I said to Emma, hey, look, you've got to deal with the payment and finishing this meal off because I've got to run to the hotel. I absolutely legged it to the hotel, like Usain Bolt, two Usain Bolts here, how quick the intolerance happened and how quickly I ran to the hotel, blasted through the hotel, got to the door, and as you can imagine, wasn't pretty after that, and it carried on for two, three, four, five goes, and that's when I thought, right, right now, I can't eat chickpeas traveling, it's too risky, it's not fun, it's horrible, I need modium, it's not great. So from then on, I was like, right, no more. But then I had a trip to Nepal plan with Emma, and they love their famous dish, dalbat, which is a load of lentils. And I was nervous, because not only is it going to be lentils, you don't know the hygiene of some of these restaurants that you go in, especially local ones. And I would have thought Jordan was a bit more uh, cleaner than Nepal. But for the three weeks in Nepal, all the dalbat that I ate, and any other dish to go alongside it, no sickness whatsoever so it's a strange one so i now think there's more chickpeas than lentils but the key to the story is you do learn a lot about yourself and your body and it's key if you've got intolerances that you plan for those and also don't take any risks because you don't want to be in the middle of nowhere needing some attention luckily i sort of know the drill now but i do need somewhere quite comfortable to stay because it's going to happen for a couple of hours it's an absolute nightmare so that's my travel story this week no, your intolerances, get your medication together and avoid certain stuff. Prevention is better than treating it. So that's my key moral from that story. And next time, hopefully I have a guest story for you. I've got one lined up. Looking forward to hearing what that is. Guest reaction. This section is the guest reaction to the last guest episode of the Winning Travel podcast. And we had our first guest episode the other week from Kayla Erig who's talking about her book, How to Be a Digital Nomad. And I found this chat very interesting. And the book also is a great read because it gives you an indication of what you need to consider if you're looking to go down that route of a digital nomad. I don't know if you missed it in the episode, but Kayla did say she still works 30 to 40 hours a week. So even though she is remote, fully remote, and she can go where she wants, she's still got deadlines to hit and is working very long hours. 
um, considering that normal full-time jobs are the same as that. So I think the question is, when I was kind of speaking to Kayla, was, oh, do you want to have less hours but more time to do remote work? Do you do it in batches? Maybe do like 40 hours a week for three months and then chill out for a bit or reduce between 20 and 30 hour weeks? Keep going for it. Yeah, all these questions are all personal to yourself and I found it very interesting. And the way that she researched different people in the book and how they did it. It's a great start to the year if you want to become digital nomad. We come an array of topics. I love how easy Kayla spelled out her book, gives some real life scenarios and covers her own journey as well. That's all in the book, but also in the podcast episode. And since the interview, Kayla has been traveling. So we recorded that in October last year. And she's been in Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, I think, as part of a digital nomad lifestyle, if you like, the last three months. And she's kind of living the dream. She's got deadlines to hit, she does work, she's getting paid and she's location independent. I think the one thing people got to be wary of here is these type of books, digital nomadism, aren't going to give you all the answers because they, they're there to help you think about your journey and guide you. Some people want this like golden answer straight away. Oh, what do I need to do? I need to do that. Great. I'll do that and I'll become one. It's not as easy as that because it all depends on what skills you have in terms of jobs, how brave you are for going different types of roles, getting different types of work. And also, how flexible are you? Are you happy with not having 40 hours one week, but then having 40 hours next week? Can you live maybe not to the same level of money if you're going to have a salary now in your job? And when you leave to be digital nomad, it might take a year to get to that level again. I don't know. It's all personal to you, but the book and Kayla's interview will help you guide towards what you want to do. And please embrace it. Leave a positive review for Kayla's book because creatives do get a bit of a hard time online, I must admit. This is a Patreon shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers, who has contributed £5 to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. And it helps the podcast to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my Patreon. The website address is patreon.com forward slash we're going to travel podcast. For five English pounds, you will receive some trendy stickers from myself and the post, a shout out on each episode, and also my digital travel planner by email. Thank you for your support. Through reviews or bad ratings, whatever it is, you'll put a lot of work into this sort of stuff to help people. So check it out. Interview is a great start. Then go buy the book, and you won't be disappointed with either of those things, and I think it will help you on your journey. Thanks to Kada for coming on, making the effort. We have now connected via LinkedIn. We now stay in regular contact. I think we may do a catch-up call in about three months to see where we both are on our journeys. Looking forward to that indeed. The next section is the did you know or travel facts section. Did you know and or travel facts? So I mentioned before that I'm going to Bhutan this year and I realised I might have covered this on a previous episode way in the past, maybe two and a half, three years ago. But let's reignite. The Bhutan facts. Now, Bhutan is a country that a lot of people don't really know much about. So, if you looked at a map, probably go to India first, that northern eastern part of the country, Seven Sisters, and you'll find Bhutan right up there, bordering that part. And here are some facts about Bhutan that are very interesting. The most well known fact, probably, is that they try to poll people for the gross national happiness. Now, you know, in this country, they base it on earnings and what you earn. But there, Happiness is more of a priority than maybe all the other materialistic things. They use a measure for people's happiness, bringing in free healthcare, free education, 
sustainable tourism, conservation of the culture and environment as a result of the findings of these questions and polls they hold. I don't know if they hold them every year or every 10 years, I'm not sure, but that was the new thing they started doing. So now technically, Bhutan is the happiest country in the world. They are the only carbon negative country in the world. An amazing fact. You do pay for this though, when you go to visit, they have a sustainable fee that you have to pay per day. This is to help keep the country carbon negative, but also keep an eye on over tourism. And to fly to Bhutan, there's only three airports that fly there, I think from Kathmandu, Bangkok and Singapore. There may be another one in India. So I'm now gonna figure that out and think about how long I wanna go for. But I'm fully expecting to pay 250 US dollars a day at least to go to Bhutan, not including flights. Okay, mountaineering is now banned in Bhutan to protect the country's highest mountains. There you go, a little fact for you. The national sport is archery. It was entirely isolated to the world until 1974. And in 2019, pre-COVID, 300,000 people did visit per year. Bhutan is the last country in the world to introduce TV, and that was in 1998. There are no traffic lights in Bhutan. And the national dress is compulsory for citizens in Bhutan. So the men wear a go, G-H-O, which is a knee-length robe-like cloth, which is wrapped around their bodies and nicely secured with a belt. I think when I go, I will buy a little outfit like that. So Bhutan's on my list purely because of its policy of being carbon negative and also protecting over tourism and the nature. It's got to be a throwback into what countries would have been like, maybe pre-boom in tourism, I think. It's going to be quite unique. Someone told me roughly there's only 2,000 hotel spaces a night, so you don't get that many people in the country. The culture's going to be there. You're going to have a local guide and drivers to get that local aspect. And you can go and see what you want. Got some amazing monasteries, scenery, everything. Just bear in mind the peak times to go are going to be sort of around September, all the way around to probably April to May. In that, it's going to be a bit cold, but the summer has the monsoon season, so it's just full of rain. And also, Bhutan are known for its festivals as well. So yeah, it's going to be a bit more research into that in the coming months. Looking forward to booking it, getting it locked in. And that'll be after Thailand when I visit the Extraordinary Travel Festival. Nice brand update. Okay, a brand update. So for the Winging Travel Podcast, I do spell out a lot of this stuff in my weekly newsletter on a Wednesday. So if you want to sign up to that and get more information, you can head to Substack and search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find my newsletter. Just subscribe today and you get it every Wednesday. It's free. But essentially, brand update is going to be sort of what I said at the start of the year. I've got some goals this year to achieve. So I've said this before on another podcast episode, I think. But it's going to be pushing my YouTube content because I've been traveling for a year now. I've got a lot of content to talk about and showcase. I'm going to showcase that to you via video. So that'll be on YouTube, Winning Travel Podcast. So I've got that as a main priority this year. I've also started my sort of travel journey, if you like, 10 years ago, pretty much to the day, uh, 18th of January 2013, so what, three days out. So it's been a decade. So I want to kind of note that down in a book and talk about the evolution of the traveller from those early hedonistic days to the modern day traveller that is me. Done some good things, bad things, things are cringe at, things that are great. Um, so I want to note all that down and talk about my feelings about how travel has evolved in those 10 years and how I have evolved within travel and how I see it today compared to 10 years ago. And I've got lots of stories in there, lots of countries in there. And I'm now planning it out and getting that going. I'm hoping to get a first draft done by the mid of the year. 
I'd love to get the final thing done by the end of the year. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about. The audio part of this podcast is going to be, at the minute, two guest episodes a month with two of these solo episodes a month, alternating each other. I may chuck in a bonus one on a Friday, one per month, because I get a lot of requests to do interviews or podcast guest swaps, whatever it is. So I'm considering that as well. But I'm a bit unsettled at the moment, so I need to get back to Vancouver and get more of a routine and plan out what is next. The newsletter is going. Blogging will be changing as well. I'm still weighing this up, but I'm thinking there's going to be a blog for every guest episode that I do, simply because there's lots of information to share about in the written form. Put links in there, get the SEO going to my new website, which I'll come to in a minute, and get that sort of content out there so people can come back to the podcast via a Google search or via someone else's blog. And that leads me on to my website, a new rebrand this year, wingitravelpodcast.com. I've got that secured. So I'm now developing my podcast website, which is going to house not too much stuff, but just enough stuff for you to get in contact, look at the latest episodes, those blogs that I mentioned, and a bit about me. And going forward, probably house the book on there and stuff like that. So they're probably the main aims of the podcast. Looking to get a bit more writing involved. My main pitch to do some articles. Got a lot to write about. And look to get better at podcast engineering. So that means managing podcasts, editing podcasts, being in podcasts. And look to get some of that paid work on the side as well. So that's me and the brand update for Wigan Mitchell Podcast. I actually don't see this section being too different uh, every two weeks. But maybe something that comes up within those two weeks that can let you know what's going on. That's new, um, but essentially these are my goals for this year, and I'll give you an update if anything new comes of those. Otherwise, this will be what's come up in the two weeks since the last one. Audience question of the week. Audience question. I get asked this question quite a lot from some people, either via social media or via even email as well. It's about how to set up a travel podcast. This probably deserves an episode on its own, really. I'm going to give a few pointers as to where I can help you in terms of advice and from what I've seen in my three years of doing it, which is unbelievable, really. I've lasted this long. So the first tip for you would be you need to consider what are you going to do as a travel podcast? And what I mean by that is, are you looking to interview guests? Are you looking to be a co-host? So two hosts talk about travel stories. Are you looking to maybe even go traveling with a podcast? That's quite a cool idea. Done that for a year. Learned some lessons along that. And also what, what you're trying to convey across and who your audience is. So that's what you need to weigh up first, brainstorm about what it is about, who it's for. And then some practicalities come afterwards. So I would advise getting three to five episodes recorded first in the bank and edited, ready to go. And then I would make sure that I would have a good logo. And it's obvious on your logo what your podcast name is. With the podcast name, don't think too hard about it. Um, I would probably do a bit of research into ones that are currently active and maybe even look at copyrighted names um, first before committing to a name. And then it's all about releasing it. So you need to build up some interest, get your social medias together, clip up all the episodes so you can use on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your medium of choice is. Pick a date to release, stick to that date and work as hard as you can to get everything sorted because when you start releasing episodes it's relentless whether you're weekly or every two weeks or even monthly it soon comes around pretty quick about content that you need to get together especially after your three or four episodes have been recorded you then are recording on the fly if you like you've got to think of stuff to talk about get together arrange time 
Now, there's two ways of doing it. You can be every week or every two weeks, every month consistently, or you can do it in seasons. There's pros and cons of both. Seasons will give you a bit more time, plan your own time to get together. And I think there's actually probably no real disparity in terms of listeners between those guys and the weekly or bi-weekly guys. The only thing I'd say is at the start, you want to get people going. So you probably want to release like three episodes on, one, on the first day and then really hit the ground running with your other content. Once you get your base together, maybe then you could do seasons because people will still come back because they know you and can trust you. Trust is a big issue. People start podcasts, this is any podcast, and then stop. I think the classic um, stat is only 10% of podcasts get past three episodes, I believe. And only 1% of those get past 20. So if you pass that stage, you're in the top 1% of podcasts of all time. And for travel, it's interesting. You've got to bear in mind and accept the fact it's not one of the most popular podcast subjects. There's not actually many people about in our sphere. And there's lots of different ones going on, all very niche and different. Um, but yeah, there's not many listeners across the board compared to all the daily podcasts that are very popular, like sport or news or business, self-help. They're going to trump any numbers that travel podcasts get. But the most important fact of all is you do it for fun. You enjoy it. You love speaking to people, sharing stories, talking about countries, places, culture. As long as you enjoy it, then the fruits of the podcast, in theory, should come later on down the line so first of all get your podcast episodes together get your logo get your name get organized release to a consistent schedule whatever that is and enjoy the process and then see where you are in a year's time and reassess Come on, Joe. <laughs> here is my travel joke this week it's gonna make you cringe let's have it what is a smurf's most feared london tube station turnham green Thank you very much, and I'll see you next time. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5, or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you.